From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Bloomberg Intelligence Talking Transports podcast. I'm your host, Lee Klaskow, Senior Freight Transportation and Logistics Analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence, Bloomberg's in-house research arm. We're delighted to have Ike Brown, Vice Chairman and President of NFI. Ike has had numerous responsibilities since his start with the company in 1977. In 1980, Ike moved to Dallas, Texas to oversee NFI's operation in the Southeast. During the 80s, he grew NFI to be the largest contract carrier in Texas and a major truckload carrier in the Southwest. Ike has been extremely philanthropic over the past couple decades. He's earned a Bachelor of Science in business administration from Boston University in uh, 1976. So uh, I guess go Terriers. Uh, and uh, so welcome to the podcast, Ike. Well, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Uh, and I always appreciate your time. I uh, loved always talking with you at uh, various conferences over the years. So uh, NFI might not be a household name. It is for me, but for those that uh, maybe aren't outside of freight transportation logistics, can you give a little background about NFI Industries? Okay, so we're a family-owned business. This is our 92nd year in business. Most companies probably can't say they've been around for 92 years, and surely most logistics companies haven't been around that that long. But uh, my two brothers, uh, Sid, Jeff, and I are third generation, um, and my grandfather started the business in 1932. And we do have fourth generation, which we refer to as G4, uh, that has already come into the business. There's uh, nine cousins in the fourth generation and six of the nine are already in, in the business. So objective is to continue to operate as a family entity and you know not go down the public route. I guess the, the, the major reason to stay private is gives you guys the flexibility uh, to, to do with what you want with your capital? Yes. And, you know, we've never had an issue with, uh, you know, in our acquisitions or in our CapEx spend as far as uh, finding funds. Uh, we've done it all through internally and some debt. Um, our balance sheet, you know, right now is in the best shape I, I think it's ever been. We put it up against any public entity. Um, and so, you know, we've been able to grow our business mostly from internal funds. Okay. All right. And can you talk about those businesses? What, what markets are, is NFI involved in on the transport side? Yeah. So we have four core businesses. We have our, what we call our ABT, our asset-based transportation, uh, which is our trucking business, which some people probably remember us as national freight. Um, 
So that business is operating about, uh, you know, maybe 3,500 trucks, uh, predominant being company equipment, a little over 3,000 company equipment and about uh, 12, 13,000 trailers. Um, we changed that business 10, 12 years ago from being an over the road operation. So we are purely dedicated. That's the offering that we uh, have on the tr trucking side. So we are contractual on, you know, two, three, five, seven year deals. Uh, and that has served us well. Is that mostly like in retail and consumer products? Retail, consumer products, beverage, food. You know, our average length of haul um, is probably about 250 miles, which kind okay. of surprises a lot of people because we're not in the over-the-road transactional uh, realm at all. Um, and we operate those uh, um, operations throughout North America, meaning we have some operations up in Canada as well as uh, domestic U.S. Um, and we have a, a border operation in Laredo as well. Second biggest, and that business probably does about 1.2 billion a year. Um, and then we have our uh, uh, warehousing and distribution business, which is about a billion and a half, a billion six uh, entity. Um, and we uh, operate close to 72, 73 million square feet of industrial warehouse space throughout North America, Canada, where I think we're the second or third largest warehouse provider in Canada now. We've done some acquisitions uh, and we're one of the largest in the U.S. as far as uh, warehouse space. So out of that 72, 73 million, we own about 18 million of it. And the rest of it is leases that pretty much coincide with uh, the customers that we're doing business with. And then we do a lot of value-added services within those four walls of, of the warehouses. Some of those warehouses are as small as 50,000 square feet. And we have a, a number of million square foot, million plus square foot warehouses that we operate throughout the U.S. Um, and kind of a subsection of that is we also have a domestic cross-stock business. So we do a fair amount of uh, consolidation and deconsolidation throughout the U.S. at, at various crosstalks. And then the third entity, which uh, used to be what we called our non-asset business, but we changed the name to Integrated uh, Logistics Services, is our brokerage business, our uh, intermodal business, our transportation management business, and our global freight forwarding business. Um, so, you know, we don't have any, we do have some assets. We do run some reefer intermodal containers uh, just up in the Canadian market. But besides that, you know, uh, we run a traditional brokerage business, albeit we're somewhat different maybe than a lot of other brokerage firms. Um, a lot of our business a good deal of it is contractual. We don't do the spot market, maybe as much as other uh, brokerage firms do. Um, and so that gives us, you know, a little bit more consistency. And then the fourth uh, service offering is our port logistics business. 
Uh, we operate pretty much every major port on the West Coast, down in the Gulf, uh, and, and the East Coast, except for New York, uh, New Jersey. Um, and that's the, the traditional uh, Cal Cartage business that we bought about six years ago that gave us that entry. And that includes the services we provide there, both drayage and transloading. Um, and we've grown that business tremendously. Um, we've built out or in, in, a, in a, a course of building out additional transload facilities, mostly on the East Coast, just opened up a new one in Savannah, going to open up a new one up in Norfolk, up in the uh, Norfolk Ch Chesapeake area. Uh, so we continue to uh, invest in that side of the business as well. So those are our four core uh, service offerings. And then let me just mention, there's one other <clears throat> offering that most 3PL logistics companies don't have. We think that this gives us somewhat of a competitive advantage. We're in the real estate business. Right. So not only do we, you know, build some of our own buildings, we build uh, some warehouses for third party uh, people. We've built some uh, commercial buildings as well. Uh, but we can really uh, provide value-added service to our customer base when they're looking, you know, at the real estate market or they're looking to uh, build a building, you know, they can use our expertise. And that has helped quite a bit in, uh, in closing some deals for us. Right. So, so a lot of your businesses tend to touch the, the trucking industry. Um, so what are your thoughts on the trucking cycle? I mean, it seems like uh, we're bouncing along the bottom. Um, what are you seeing? Well, you know, last, uh, well, first of all, we've been in a freight recession, in my opinion, since the fourth quarter of, uh, of 22. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we're still in that recession. Um, you wouldn't know it by, you know, all the headlines in the newspapers and articles out there, how well the economy is doing. Um, but I think that really hasn't transferred into, you know, additional volume as far as goods, goods being moved and people buying stuff. Uh, right. You know, it's just not happening out there. Um, so the, um, we started to see a slowdown like mid 2023. Um, we're not as um, susceptible to the huge swings in rates because we're not in the transactional over the road business. You know, all, uh, as far as the trucking, you know, we have uh, contractual rates, all, albeit, you know, when they, they've come up for renewals in the last 12 months, you know, we've, uh, we really haven't lost any business, uh, but we've had to uh, be a little bit more aggressive on the, on the uh, rate side, you know, as far as have rates reached bottom every, every time you think that they reach bottom, there seems to be a new level. Uh, right. But I think they're really at a, at a, at a, at a point now where that, it, you know, I don't think there's any more for the shippers to squeeze out of us uh, or up. Otherwise, you know, we can't replenish our equipment. We'd be, ha be uh, moving freight below our costs. So, you know, we're kind of uh, putting the, the brakes on uh, and any more rate adjustments. So when you talk about a, 
you know, first off, you're in the dedicated business, so that's like more um, strategic relationships with the shippers. So uh, that's a great thing. And then, you know, the contracts don't come up for renewal as often as over the road. Um, so I'm just curious when you said when you when you mentioned that you know you've been aggressive uh, on the rate side, are you talking about or are you are rates coming down for you, or are you just not getting exactly as as much increase as you want? Because obviously NFI is dealing with uh, their own inflationary costs, whether it's equipment, insurance, or what have you. So um, you know when uh, businesses come up for renewal, okay. Um, we have been getting some small rate increases. Mm -hmm. We also have been, uh, in order to keep some business, you know, if it is uh, core to our network, you know, we've had to make some downward rate adjustments. More so, I think, is the fact that uh, we've had to make some equipment adjustments where, you know, a fleet of 40 or 50 tractors, you know, because of the the customer's volumes, you know, might need only 35 tractors right now. And then we've also downsized the amount of trailers. Uh, so we've, you know, made between those three areas, those are the adjustments we've made, you know, over the last 12 months. Right. And, and, you know, dedicated as a, as an analyst, um, when I look at a publicly traded company, it's always a, a better business to be in than, than over the road for a gazillion different reasons. Um, what kind of pipeline does does NFI have on the dedicated side? Is that like is that something that you always have just a, a huge pipeline because of the the shift that shippers are looking to maybe outsource their transportation needs? Well, I can tell you this: in 2023, we really did not bring on a lot of new labels in our uh, dedicated trucking operation. We didn't really we didn't lose any business, but I think what customers were doing was they were out there just uh, um, putting out RFPs, uh, seeing what the, uh, the market would bear, and then they would use that information with their incumbent carriers to kind of drive down the rates a little bit. And there really were, uh, most customers we felt didn't really make that many changes, uh, you know, from their incumbent carriers. Um, this year, you know, we've got several uh, startups that are happening right now as we speak. Uh, so, um, you know, we're starting to add some new labels. Uh, you know, we've got a pretty stellar reputation as far as on-time performance uh, and uh, uh, flexibility uh, and working with the uh, um, customers. And then all of our diversification of other service offerings kind of helps in uh, in furthering their relationship. So I'm looking for this year to, you know, uh, to be much better as far as adding on some additional business and keeping our existing. Right. And could you, could you talk about, you know, like a typical current customer, like who they are? Like, is it the Walmarts and the Targets of the world? Is that who? Yeah, you know, it's basically your Fortune top 50. You know, we, okay. um, you know, uh, Target and Lowe's are, are probably our two largest accounts. Uh, Long-term relationships with both. Do a lot of business with Anheuser-Busch, a lot of business with Georgia Pacific, a lot of business with Bimbo Bakeries. 
so um, a lot of business with Trader Joe's, uh, a lot of business with, it used to be Nestle Waters, now it's called Blue Triton. Right. Uh, so, you know, uh, those are just a kind of a sample of some of our larger accounts. Yeah, I'm, I'm based in New Jersey and I see your trucks uh, all the time and I'm always like, hey, Dyke's truck. I wonder if he's driving it. <laughs> well, I have a funny story about that. Oh, please tell. So uh, my youngest son uh, has been working in the warehousing business for a while um, on the West Coast. And so he needed to, we transition, we have all of the next generation on a on a plan to transition to learn all the service offerings. Right. So he transitioned or is transitioning over to the trucking business and he was going to go to Northern Virginia. We've got four or five projects there and he was going to oversee, be a director overseeing those projects. So it was his idea before he did that, he needs to know what it's like to be a truck driver. Right. So he went and got a CDL, spent four weeks, got a CDL. And, uh -huh. then, and then he went into the NFI training program with a, a NFI professional trainer for eight weeks. And now he's been for a month now, he's been driving a truck from one of our operations in Northern Virginia, delivering freight in North Jersey and in uh, New York and Long Island. Uh, so he's kind of wrapping up. He, he has gotten what he needs out of that. He's got a tremendous yeah. amount of respect, you know, from his peers for, you know, for what he's doing. Um, so it was a, you know, it was a great opportunity for him. Yeah. I, I, uh, I, I, I was at a company event and they let me behind the wheel and they were trying, they made, they asked me to do the, the test that they do in the parking lot. And, and I murdered about a thousand cones. It wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It's, it's very hard. It's a lot harder than some people uh, probably don't really grasp, but, but that's great. And listen, if you're, if you're ever in the market to adopt a 54 year old, um, you know, um, I, I might be available. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, so just, uh, you know, switching gears. So the broker, you have, you're involved in the broker business. You said your business is more contractual versus what, you know, a lot of maybe publicly traded companies are. Um, the broker business has been extremely volatile. We've heard UPS mention that their broker business is under strategic review. It was, a, uh, you know, I think uh, J.B. Hunts was a loss. Uh, C.H. Robinson disappointed. So um, can you talk about the business and, you know, how 2023 was for you guys and, you know, what you're looking to do in 2024? So um, even though we have a lot of uh, contractual uh, brokerage business, our, that entity, that service offering is still being hit pretty heavy. Uh, our margins have been compressed uh substantially uh our volumes you know we're hauling more freight uh but you know uh the margins have 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 shrunk but you know we're we seem to be uh holding our own we have the um we developed our own technology and we put our own uh, uh brokerage management system into that operation so we feel like we're each brokerage person is more productive, but still, you know, we, we still are suffering, you know, from the overall market. Mm -hmm. 
So, so in that market, do you think it's ripe for consolidation or bigger isn't necessarily better from an NFI standpoint? Well, um, there's a lot of markets that are ripe for consolidation because some of the companies that have been operating, like even the digital freight brokers, uh, you know, um, and didn't really have to show, you know, profitability uh, and show anything on the bottom line. They were trying to focus maybe just on the top line uh, and were raising money left and right in, right. in, in uh, 21 and 22. That's not happening anymore. Right. Uh, so some of, we've seen a, a lot go out of business. We see a lot that are struggling. Convoy was one big name that, that's no longer. Yeah, but and we see a lot that are struggling. Um, and yeah, I definitely think that there's going to be some consolidation and, and just people dropping by by the wayside. Right. And you mentioned technology uh, in the brokerage business. So do you guys develop your own in-house technology for most of your systems or are you taking stuff off the shelf and maybe making it your own? Well, we do a combination of both. For the brokerage operation, you know, we have a team of about 15 uh, people that uh, uh, from uh, Square One developed a whole new uh, uh, operating system uh, that we're using today. Um, but for the other entities, uh, it's a combination of uh, off the shelf and some uh, homegrown uh, in the trucking operation, we use TMW uh, okay. as our uh, platform. In the warehousing, we use uh, uh, Manhattan uh, as our main uh, uh, WMS system. Uh, on the port services, we use Trinium as our main uh, platform in, in that area. And then we've been able to buy some additional BI tools and kind of like add-on type technology to enhance our ability to manage the operation. Right, and I guess that's a, a constant investment that you're always uh, putting CapEx dollars towards. Yes, and that's seen, that's growing every year, uh, and the budget we have for that continues to grow every mm -hmm. year. So, you know, the distribution, e-commerce, uh, warehousing, cross-docking, that, that business, can you give us a little more details about you know, you know, you mentioned cross-stocking. Can you explain to people what, what, what that is and what types of customers would use that service? So uh, let me give an example of Target. Uh, so we run in the uh, central part of the U.S. in the Chicago area. We run a consolidation cross-stock for uh, uh, Target. So there is a, uh, a radius, could be, you know, three... 300 miles or maybe even more uh, of Chicago where uh, we partner up. These are not NFI assets, but these are partners that we have in our brokerage operation. Um, partner up with different carriers and they bring in LTL shipments, maybe some truckload shipments into our cross stock in Chicago. And then we put those uh, uh, shipments into uh, di a distribution center lanes that uh, Target has to ship all over the country, you know, whether that be intermodal or that 
over the road. So we're consolidating a bunch of different vendors uh, in, you know, in the central part of the U.S. And then we are uh, loading up in uh, uh, different lanes uh, to service the the target stores that, that were assigned. And so, and then on the, on the distribution e-commerce side, so do you do like fulfillment for uh, e-retailers or retailers that have an e-commerce presence? So, you know, we've always done some type of e-fulfillment just because, you know, we were doing the wholesale and the retail distribution right. for a lot of different uh, customers in our warehouse. But there were some each picks that we were, you know, sending out, uh, you know, to direct to customers, but it was kind of on an ad hoc basis. And the last year, we actually did stand up a e-commerce specific offering, uh, small, very small, just getting started. We're learning uh, the type of customer that we're going after is the uh, kind of small to midsize. Most of them I've never even heard of because they're not the customers we're doing business with on the warehousing and on right. the trucking side. Uh, so we're, you know, we're kind of learning in that area and, uh, you know, we got a pretty healthy pipeline, but like that pipeline and most of our other pipelines, customers are taking longer and longer to make decisions mm -hmm. on what they want to do. I think mainly because they don't really know what the economy is going to do. I mean, there was a great jobs report that came out today that, you know, I think that was somewhat surprising. Yeah, especially all the announced layoffs that we've been hearing, at least the headlines. Um, I think that was very surprising. So, you know, what's happening is that you have a very, you can't predict, you can't forecast. Forecasting was never very good to begin with that we got from our customers, either on the warehousing side or on the trucking side. Now it's even more uh, shaky. Um, but the, because they don't really know what's going to happen with their business. I think they're, they're pretty much through the inventory glut. That's pretty much over with, uh, we've seen our imports start to pick up in California in December, they picked up, I think January, maybe traditionally pretty slow, although, you know, it, it uh, Chinese new year is going to probably spur some activity, uh, but the West Coast, which is traditionally over the last two years has been losing freight to the uh, East Coast ports, has, has started to come back. Uh, and, you know, you know of all the problems happened with the Panama Canal with the lack of water. So that has kind of hurt some of the East Coast ports. And now with the issues at, at, the, uh, at the Red Sea uh, and, and that, you know, we're if things go on much longer, you know, you, you could see some real backlog in some of the. Yeah. And also uh, I'm sure you're aware a lot of the um, East coast and Gulf coast are have a, a labor negotiation with their port workers coming up. I think it's September this year. Um, so are, are you, cause you, you see a lot of stuff you guys identify. So are you seeing or hearing from your customers saying, you know, we're going to divert some freight from the East coast or Gulf coast to the West coast, whether it's because of the Suez canal, whether it's because these, uh, pending, uh, labor negotiations or the Panama canal, are, are you hearing that or seeing that yet? Or are you maybe just hearing it and not seeing it yet? Well, we've seen some, uh, uh, 
freight being diverted from the uh, East Coast because of the Panama Canal to Houston. And we uh, right. we stood up an operation in Houston about a year ago. So and we built a brand new cross dock down there. So we're expanding in that Houston area and also, you know, being uh, routed to the West Coast. So, you know, I think if you if you probably take a look at and the numbers, I don't know if they're out yet, year over year, numbers of containers for like Norfolk and Charleston, Savannah, they I would suspect that they would be flat or even lower than than last year because of some of these issues that are happening. Right. I guess it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on. And just going back to the warehousing business, are most of your warehouses like shelves with forklifts or, or, or is there a sense of, is there a portion that's automated? Um, what kind of warehousing do you guys operate? So we do both. It's a combination of both. Uh, lately, we've been doing some pretty highly sophisticated, automated, uh, robotic type operations. Um, and um, some of the, the customers, you know, want to keep some of that CapEx, upfront CapEx off their balance sheet. So we've been, you know, uh, taking that on. So you guys would set something up for a customer and you guys would do cost plus like of, of the setup. That's how it kind of works. Well, we do cost plus maybe for a period of time and then we move over to fixed variable, you know, after okay. we kind of understand the operation. Um, some customers want to continue on cost plus, you know, so we do a mixture of, of, of both. Um, but you know, we, we do more than the just traditional powered in, powered out, you know, we've, uh, got involved in, you know, many different types of products that we're handling. Uh, we, we just did a, um, uh, bringing on board, a. a a warehouse down in Florida for Coca-Cola that is highly automated. It's been about a year and a half in the, in, in the making and, and the works. And we're doing some things with uh, total wine, uh, uh, automated warehouses and robots, you know, with uh, Bimbo and AGVs and, uh, and drones in the warehouse. So we've, you know, we've, are experimenting with a lot of different technologies. Right. Okay. And so just to switch gears a little bit, you know, you, you do have a large fleet um, in terms of tractors. You operate in areas like California. There are new um, emission regulations. Um, where is NFI on the, uh, you know, sustainability um, journey? Are you guys early investors in EV or other alternative fuels? Um, if so, what is working? What's not working? Uh, it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. So we've, we've always been a leader in uh, sustainability. It's one of our core uh, uh, principles. Um, right. You know, we've, we've been running electric vehicles now for probably four years with a uh, Freightliner and Volvo, you know, in uh, their uh, first, first edition, second edition, where I think we're into our, our third uh, uh, edition, they keep on increasing a little bit the range of the vehicles. We are 
in the process are those mostly in california or is that just all over the place no it's all in california the the economics of electric trucks does not pencil out unless you get grant money okay and 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 uh california you know has the most amount of grant money because they have the most aggressive program you know for uh environmental uh uh emission control. Um, so, you know, all of our electric trucks, uh, maybe we run a couple on the East Coast, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, all of them pretty much are based in California. Uh, we've got a, a, a truck terminal that we just built in Ontario, California, um, that's going to have 100 electric trucks, you know, by mid-year running out of there. Um, 38 ch uh, charging stations. Uh, the, the truck terminal is built right next to one of our warehouses. Uh, we're going to be putting solar on the roof of that warehouse. So the solar will uh, uh, feed the charging stations and then the charging stations, you know, will charge up the truck. So it'll be an all electric fleet operating in California. That's pretty cool. I'm curious, you mentioned earlier in the beginning of the podcast, the fact that you have a relatively low length of haul. Um, so I guess, does your network, lend, assuming the economics work out, lend more to the EV since they're coming back to, I'm assuming your, your warehouse, your distribution center, and they can be charged for however long it takes to charge them up? So right now, most of the electric trucks over the past couple, three years, and then this new fleet that we're standing up, is going to be in our port services operation. Okay. Going to the port, bringing it back to our warehouses, bringing it back to other third-party warehouses, uh, so, which is all a short-haul type type operation uh, as well. But, you know, with our some of our dedicated fleets, you know, we said a number of years ago, my, my brothers and I, that we could easily see 30 40% of our fleet being electric because our drivers are home every night. Our trucks are back at the domicile every night. So we don't have to kind of worry about the infrastructure, the charging infrastructure that's out there on the highway because we would have charging stations right back. The biggest challenge, I think the OEMs and the manufacturers are kind of moving along in the journey of improving uh, electric trucks. But I don't think the utility companies are ready yet and can can uh, have the power availability. That's been kind of the biggest stumbling block uh, as far as trying to get these operations up and running. Yeah, but, uh, that's 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 a that's a theme that we we've been hearing as well in terms of the infrastructure is not there, um, even if it's for um, you know like a drayage operation. So it's, it's pretty interesting. We'll see, you know, how successful California is and, and if that's going to work for the rest of the country. So, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, your third generation, it's a family business. You got fourth generation. I'm assuming, you know, you got some pretty good advice from uh, the generations before you. What, what piece of advice are you handing down to G4 um, about, running a business, running an organization and being in transportation. So we've, we've put a huge amount of effort into succession planning. Uh -huh. uh, and we started that years ago, 
Um, so, you know, when somebody from the next generation wants to come into the business, they graduate college, they can't come into the business right away. They have to go work for somebody else for three to five years. Right. Uh, and, you know, some of them have worked for a consulting firms. Some have worked in the real estate business for Cushman Wakefield. Uh, one of the cousins worked for Prologis. Uh, so, you know, in various different things. And then they can come into the business and depending on what service offering, warehousing, trucking, whatever, start at the lowest level. Right. And so, you know, none of them report directly to any of their fathers, uh, uh, but they, you know, have been able to uh, gain their own footing uh, and uh, they have a very good work ethic. I think all of our, I like to believe that we've taught all our kids a good work ethic. Um, and, you know, they have a, they're in various different areas of responsibilities and all of them have, have advanced. Um, we, we include them, you know, sometimes they have to wear their owner's hat. Sometimes they have to wear their employee's hat. Uh, but we've, we've encouraged them and we've made it, uh, available to them to be in all different types of meetings that we have. You know, whether they be high level meetings on what we're doing in the real estate business, what we're doing on CapEx exp expense, even though they might be involved as a general manager of a, of a warehouse. Uh, so, you know, we've exposed all different areas of, of, of the operation. The difference is that this is almost a $4 billion company and so much to learn and understand. And it's different than when you know, my, my brother Sid, Jeff, and I grew up in it, that we just kind of grew up in the business and kind of knew everything. Uh, and so uh, they have their own family business facilitator, you know, that they work with. So, and we have, uh, uh, in the last two years, we brought on a board of advisors. We don't have a formal board of directors or a fiduciary board of directors. It's just myself and, right. my, and my two brothers. Uh, so we brought on a, a, a board of advisors um, that has uh, uh, helped us not only in looking at things differently in the business, but also as mentors to the next generation as, as, as well. Uh, so we feel and we're told that, you know, we're kind of unique that, you know, first of all, that, you know, our brothers and I and third generation that we even get along. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and most of the cousins get along. Uh, not only do we work together, we also vacation together uh, several times a year as well. Um, and most of the people at NFI, we have a saying, they bleed blue, you know, because that's the color of our trucks. You know, because they all feel part of the family business uh, and we make them feel part of the family because they are our extension of our family. We've got 17,000 employees. Wow. So, you know, that's a lot to the family. But the way that my brothers and I kind of look at that is, OK, we have 17,000 employees. The average family has three people. We, we feel responsibility for 50,000 plus people, you know, as far as, you know, a making a living and a standard 
of living in. You know, we encourage our our people, we give them pathways, we have leadership training. We've put a huge amount of money in the last two years, not only in our IT and technology, but also in leadership training, people training. Uh, and so when different opportunities arise within the operation uh, or sales or uh, we, most of the times we kind of promote from within. Oh, that's great. And uh, with this secession stuff, uh, I don't know if you watched that uh, the, the television show, uh, it can get pretty ugly uh, at some companies. Um, so just, uh, you know, we need to wrap up here because we're, we're coming in uh, at the end of our time. I'm just curious. So when you're not running uh, NFI, what, what do you like to do when you're not at work for fun? Well, I don't nearly get involved in the minutiae that I used to get involved with. Okay. You know, it's, my brothers and I always talk about it. God, when we were in this business, we were one of the youngest people in this business. And it seemed like overnight, we're one of the oldest people in this business. And a lot of people that we grew up with that we used to meet at ATA uh, or TCA or uh, RELA, you know, they're either retired or, you know, not in this business anymore. So what, what are we still hanging around here for? So, uh, you know, I've got uh, four grandkids now so uh you know i have the joy of uh, uh spending time with them and even a greater joy when i'm finished giving them back to their mother and father so I, right i don't have to keep them uh and you know i play uh, play some golf um i've gotten involved in a lot of philanthropic activities um next year i'm going to take over the chair of the new uh, Holocaust and Human Rights Museum that I was instrumental in building in Dallas. Uh, so I have a big passion for that. Um, I've been involved in uh, a lot of nonprofits, you know, within the Dallas area, uh, servicing, you know, the homeless and uh, the food bank that's there. So I've, I've gotten more involved in, uh, uh, in philanthropic activities and and then you know kind of mentoring uh not my specific kids but you know my nieces and nephews that are in the business uh as, as far as what they want to do uh, right so there's there's no lack of activity all right well that's great and, and listen like i really appreciate the time it's always a pleasure talking to you i always learn learn a lot so thank you okay well i enjoyed I always like talking about our company because we yeah. feel very passionate and very proud of what we've been able to accomplish. All right, great. And, and I want to thank everyone for tuning in. If you like the episode, please subscribe and leave a review. We've lined up a number of great guests for the podcast. Check back to hear conversations with C-suite executives, shippers, regulators, and decision makers within the freight transportation markets. Also, if you have an idea for an episode, please hit me up on the terminal or on Twitter at Logistics Lee. Thanks, everybody, and be safe out there. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. 
alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.